Sangha self says I should just have a little conversation with my Sangha friends about what has been inspiring and interesting me lately in my practice. So I'll do the latter and call it the former. As you remember from the last time I spoke with you, in a very disorganized trying to get, get figure out Zoom, we played a clip from Jack Cornfield talking about Thich Nhat Hanh uh, introducing mindfulness in a way that uh, it wasn't usually thought of in at least Japanese drive Zen circles. And he had a phrase there that caught me and it has kept me caught and has been sort of the focus of my practice ever since. And that phrase was, it was very clear that Thich Nhat Hanh was dwelling in the eternity of the present moment. And that phrase, eternity of the present moment, has been resonating with me ever since. So Greg's title, uh, The First Step, also has been resonating with me. And so I was talk, thinking about this as being this moment and this step. But this moment has two meanings. It means the very here and now, this very instant of time that we're in. <clears throat> and we also use it to mean this moment in history this particular time that we're in in our history as a world community. And of course, as a Zen community and as a local community. So I've been juxtaposing those two and uh, that's what has been speaking to me about practice. The eternity of the present moment, all of eternity, caught in this moment, in this moment, continually unfolding from this moment to this moment to this moment, that each one of them being its own eternity. And many of you have seen Thich Nhat Hanh in person or at least in video. And Jack Cornfield had been talking about the way he had walked to the stage for this 3,000 person retreat 
Tai Talk. Step, 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 step. And each step so completely taken. He is so completely present in the moment of that step. So I've been thinking about the eternity of the present moment, entering into it, celebrating it, being grateful for it. And for thinking about Thai and the completeness for him of every action. There is in every movement that he makes, there is a completion in it. And there's a continuation in it. It's complete and it continues. It's complete and it continues. It's complete and it continues. There's no rushing true aimlessness. No hurry. I remember Michael Saborski saying, <clears throat> he's never seen Ty hurry. He always goes at his pace. And one time somebody asked him, why do you go so slow? And his answer was, well, I'm going as fast as I can and still be mindful. He's going as fast as he can. That is, his speed of action never exceeds his practice. So I notice that sometimes I get anxious and go rushing around and the speed of my action has definitely exceeded me, I would say the depth of my practice. Never saw anybody that went so slow and he never saw anybody that got more done. It reminds me of the old management training dictum I used to use when I was doing management training. When people would say something like, well, this is all very involved and this takes a very long time and we just need to get on with it. And what you say at that point is, well, how come you never have time to do it right? But you always have time to do it over. So I would really like to be doing my life quote-unquote right. I don't know if I get a chance to do this life over. I've heard a rumor that that might be possible, but that would be a different life. That wouldn't be this life.
So I have been really, that just runs like a, like a song gets stuck in your head, the eternity of the present moment. It's just, goes around and around in my head. And it helps me to appreciate, to more often completely enter, to be incredibly grateful for the present moment. And sometimes it actually feels like there's a feeling of this right now is an eternity and it's just a moment. I can't explain it very well, but I offer you this phrase to practice with. And the practice is what we talk about all the time, but it's so, for me at least, so often not done, which is simply to enter fully into the present moment and be here now. I find it easiest to do sitting outside in nature I find it easiest to do watching the animal parade through my yard. I find it easiest to do gardening. Every now and then, for a few moments, or sometimes for a few minutes, I actually get to dwell in the eternity of the present moment and uh, present moment, wonderful moment. It's truly wonderful at those times. When I am practicing in this way, my activity does not exceed the limits of my practice. I don't find myself rushing around and doing things over. I don't wonder why I walked into this room from what I was doing. It's easier to do as you get old, you know. Some of you really know that. Dwelling in the eternity of the present moment. Body breath and mind in perfect oneness just right here right now
And then I've been thinking about our practice in this time, this moment of the time, the period that we're in. And I said before, the Chinese have this saying, uh, it's a curse actually, it's a curse. It says, may you live in interesting times. And wow, do we live in interesting times. Some historians say that we are in the third wave of feminism, that it is pervading our times. And they characterize that as the intersection of sex and gender. And that they say that's the third wave of feminism. But I also think of the uh, Me Too movement and so many things that are happening right now. You know, the original feminist movement was when the Buddhist stepmother and her friends walked across India and showed up on the Buddha's doorstep and said, we want to join the Sangha. And women were not, didn't, there weren't nuns in those days. Women didn't do the spiritual life. And to their credit, the Buddhist Sangha uh, went against tradition and opened their minds and hearts. And the Bhikkhuni Order appeared. That was 2,600 years ago. So we are in a period where we are taking the next step in quote-unquote women's liberation. It's a very uh, exciting time, very interesting time to be in. Fully accepting all beings, fully accepting our inner being with all beings. Nobody up, nobody else down, like this. We're in some phase of the civil rights movement. I don't know any historical definitions. I think of it as phase two of the civil rights movement. And I think of phase one as changing laws so that it is illegal to discriminate based on sex, gender, race, ethnic origin. But this phase, I think, is a much more challenging phase. 
It's a phase where we're changing attitudes. We're changing behavior. We're understanding privilege. And we're looking at enforcement of laws unequally. And we know that there are created social inequalities. We know that there is historical privilege, primarily but not exclusively, accruing to wealth and power. And that in our society, the wealth and power accrue more fully to white people and to male people. And how do we let that happen? How do we let it be like this instead of like this? Um, there's a thing called the Faith Trust Institute. that has a definition of power as access to resources. And if we want to truly level in this period where we are, our practice has to be more fully equalizing the access to resources. And so what's our next step, I think this is our, our next step. Our next step is moving towards a compassion, love, and equality-based society, not just a legally-based equality, but a true equality where power is loving where compassion and love are the governing principles. We've been doing a version of a loving kindness meditation with our peace and solidarity walks every Tuesday afternoon to try to open our hearts. But Thich Nhat Hanh says that true love and the deepest compassion comes from compassion. So what's our next step? He says, love is understanding and understanding is love. So do we understand the people and beings that we inhabit this planet with? Do we truly understand their situation? Some of you have heard me said before that uh, the Dharma teacher named Tu Nguyen. And he said to me one time, to understand Thai is to understand his suffering. And that's sort of true to understand anyone. If you understand their suffering, you understand them, 
And I've never found a moment of understanding for me that didn't come with a moment of heart opening. So do we really understand the situations of the women in our society? Do we really understand the situations of people of color in our society? And have we taken the trouble to get to know persons? Do we really understand the suffering of people whose sexual orientation is not the traditional or whose gender identification is not the traditional? What is their suffering? And how are we a part of creating that suffering? Opening our hearts both through loving kindness meditation and through ties request that we do loving kindness to understanding. That may be part of our next step. And when we're taking that next step, it is this step. Taking a look at how people's suffering is related to their access to resources and how is that limited? And how how can I impact that? What can I do to help create this thing right here? True relationship only happens right here. It doesn't happen like this. It only happens like this. Whether it's in Sangha or in society. People say that the, this moment in history, we are living in sort of the second wave of the information age, the age of technology, the computer age. There are different things that are used to describe it. But what does this mean for us as practitioners? What does the world of social media big computerized retail cell phones and cell phone video instant communication you have a smartphone that's even a relatively old smartphone it has more computing power than the computers that sent the first men to the moon, first people to the moon. That was the big secret that Apple had, is that they were not creating a phone. They were creating a tiny computer that also made phone calls. That was the big secret behind the whole iPhone thing. So we have all this power. But it's another thing that's not 
equally empowering. We're also living at the moment in the COVID age. We're living in the pandemic age. That means distance learning, but there are people that are very disadvantaged because they do not have access to what's necessary to truly engage distance learning in so many ways. Access to resources is power. And the real issue here is the leveling power, leveling access to resources. In terms of understanding, we also need to understand ourselves. And we need to have that love and affection for ourselves that comes from truly understanding ourselves and our own suffering. That's where the Buddha points his finger. At the root of the practice is looking into our own suffering as a human being. and as an individual. And then in order to engage with these other people that we're trying to understand, we really need to, I think, my view, step into examining our own seats. That's what people of color are asking us to do about white privilege. What are the seeds that have been planted in us over time and in our lifetimes that keep us from engaging in and opening our hearts to the suffering of other beings and keep us hoarding resources rather than trying to share and levels of access to resources. Do we truly understand persons? Do we truly understand the sufferings of groups of persons? Do we understand the social structures that we live in and how they create suffering for ourselves and others. And do we understand that we are incredibly fortunate to live in a country where we get to do this strange thing called vote? And isn't it sad that there's an effort to restrict people's access to the vote in order to maintain power for certain people who, whose suffering is unskillfully handled by trying to hoard power? One of the things our mindfulness trainings asks us not to do. 
So a next step, that was my original idea for a title, was this step, next step. But I think a next step, if we wanted, we want to move toward this, is to put a lot of time and effort and energy, very mindfully, very skillfully, time, effort, money, and energy into the privilege that we have of voting, the privilege that we have of supporting candidates whose values reflect our own. And that is a part of our engagement, engaging the political system. Always engaging it from a place grounded in our practice, a place grounded in the eternity of the present moment, but truly engaging that process with as much mindfulness and energy and resource as we can bring to it. Because without that engagement, it's very unlikely that these quote unquote marginalized groups will be able to find a route to true social personal and economic empowerment. So the next step is this step. Stepping fully into the present moment the way the tie steps fully into the present moment with each step he takes in each action he makes. Letting it be mindfulness informed, practice informed, with an open heart and a commitment to compassion, a commitment to understanding, a commitment to engaging in leveling power and resourcing everyone.